You're listening to the Shot Quality Podcast. I'm Tucker Richardson here with Simon Gersberg, and today we have a very special guest finally joining the podcast. I know he's been wanting to get on here for a while. Colgate basketball head coach Matt Langle, also my coach for the past four years, coming on fifth year at Colgate. And I think me and Simon have always been curious about where Coach Langle developed his system, specifically offensively, which has been so successful over the past four or five years. So he's one of the most well-respected coaches in college basketball today. And, uh, you know, we're just lucky to have him on the pod. So enjoy this conversation and we'll see you soon. Coach, it's a pleasure to finally have you on the podcast. I know this is something that we've been trying to do for a while now, so it's just great to see you on. Well, my calendar has been open for as long as the Shot Quality podcast has has been 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 going. So I'm uh, honored to finally get the nod and uh, be a guest. Thanks, guys. We wanted to get some practice in before we had the the best guest on, but uh, so we wanted to start this conversation a little bit by talking about your playing career at Penn, just to kind of get a framework. Um, and I know when you were in college, um, you shot a lot of threes and I think even one year led the NCAA in three-point percentage. So I was just wondering, did you and your team play similar to the style that we play now at Colgate? And was that something that Coach Dumfrey kind of harped on, like shooting a lot of threes even back in the late 90s? Yeah, I, I'm going to have to take you back a, a, a long ways for that answer. So um, when Coach Dumfrey became the head coach at University of Pennsylvania, one of his assistant coaches um, is a is a coach that um, you got to know well in in your career because he's been the Lafayette head coach. So Fran O'Hanlon, uh, who we talk about as an offensive genius within our program, um, he was kind of the offensive mind behind Coach Dumphy's early Penn teams. Now that being said, the the line was what the high school line is now. Um, but the game was, you know, as as advanced as as Coach O'Hanlon was and is uh, on the offensive side of the ball, the game was vastly different. So we, m- my career, you know, we basically played three out, two in. Like we had a five man who did not shoot threes and a forward, uh, a four man who often did not shoot threes. So it was the game was totally different from today. Um, we played. Uh, you know, our, our secondary break was a lot of back screens and fade screens, which led to some three-point shots. I think the drive and kick aspect uh, from the perimeter was still a lot of, um, you know, what we do, what we talk about now of, of driving it in to kick it out and also throwing it in the post to ultimately throw it out. I don't think the emphasis was like we have to shoot a lot of threes. And, you know, I think the year you're talking about that I might have led the country in three-point shooting, I, I think I was like 45 for 90. So, like, I shot 50%, but that's that's not a lot of three-points attempted from, you know, a line that's like a layup for you now. Like, I mean, could you imagine if you were shooting from from that close a distance? So, I think times have changed. And, you know, Coach Dumphy's, you know, he's back coaching at LaSalle again now. His, his, his offense has has changed with as the game has changed so much, but yeah, for sure. The, the concept of, you know, open three point shots being valuable. And if, if you're a good three point shooter, you should, you should certainly shoot them. 90 attempts. I think is a pretty good sample size. I, I think you're being <laughs> too modest. <laughs> yeah. But if, if you look at the guys who are shooting in the uh, tops of the country now, like, I mean, how many, you know, what's what, how many, how many did Tucker shoot last season? Like not, you know, we had how many guys shoot over 90 attempts last season. So 
you know, for a guy that was shooting at that clip to, you know, play, I don't know, 25 plus minutes a game and only attempt 90 is, is not that many. Totally. Totally. Um, I think a common misconception with uh, shot selection, especially it's like three point shots become more prevalent. is just, you take a lot of threes, you're going to be a good offensive team. You take a lot of shots at the rim, even you're going to be a good offensive team. And it's a lot more nuanced than that. Obviously I'd say like, Good shots are obviously the open catch and shoot threes, the open cuts, transition attempts, and then limiting, depending on who the player is, off the dribble threes, long mid-range, contested threes. So we have this stat, obviously, the first thing I say has to plug the shot quality website. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, we have this stat on the website. It's probably the only stat I'll throw out there, uh, which basically measures if everyone in college basketball took had the same talent. So everybody in a vacuum like had the same talent and then what type, what are the quality of shots that each team would then generate? So who'd have like the highest shot quality if everyone took, had the same talent on those shots. Uh, so the last two seasons, Colgate finished two years ago, finished third in the nation. And then last year finished 18th uh, just because this year, a little bit less in transition, which is probably like the main reason why. Um, and obviously like everyone knows Colgate takes incredible shots uh, but I had to throw a little bit of objective data out there to back it up. Um, so I, when I was on the road last season in like, I think January, I got a question from one of the Utah state coaches. Uh, and they told me that, uh, like they asked me what makes the Colgate offense so great? Like, what do they do in practice? Like, like how do they get the best shots on offense consistently? And I had trouble answering it. Like, like just being like a pseudo manager hearing secondhand from tucking Klatsky mostly, um, and I, I didn't give a sufficient answer. So I thought my first question would be throwing it at you. So, well, I'm going to throw it right back at you, Simon. I would like to hear the answer that, that you thought was insufficient. Um, I can certainly talk through, I don't know if I have a, of an exact answer. I can certainly talk through what I think, but where did you, where did you start with your, your guys from Utah state? Obviously they asked generally about offense. So I focused specifically on shot selection. So I just said, basically, not necessarily that they'll yell at the players who are taking bad shots, but they just consistently are getting the best shots on offense naturally based off like the free flowing motion of the offense and playing a quick pace, getting backdoor cuts. And I think that's just something you probably generate from obviously recruiting, uh, like just getting the right people in the system and then just consistently practicing the right things to generate the best shots. Yeah, um, I, I, you know, that would be my that was my insufficient answer. I think. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's basically the nuts and the bolts of of what it is. Um, you know, I think the, the number one reason that we get great shots is because of the players that we have. Uh, I think that that's where this game always starts. Like, you know, if you don't have guys capable of of creating and then making shots that we term great shots, then. <laughs> you're they're not great shots anymore right if you if you one if you can't get them they're not available and two if you can't then make them then they're not great so I think that that's where it starts um, and so like you know it's often that we're playing a game with four guys on the floor who are hovering around 40 percent as open three-point shooters like you know you know that that statistic makes it a extremely valuable possession, but it also puts a lot of pressure on the defense to not give that up, which then like you talked about backdoor cuts and, you know, layups and which creates a lot of other 
shots that are of high value or that we term are great shots. Um, the second piece to it is, I think, what we work tirelessly on as coaches for the guys that we have on any given year is to um, help them understand how to create those shots, not individually necessarily, but with the guys who they're out there on the floor with. So it's using whatever the actions that we have, whether it's a ball screen or dribble handoff or, you know, spacing and cutting or driving and kicking um, to reading one another first and foremost, uh, but also the defense, like the defense, you know, if they're all hugging their man and, you know, really determined not to let us get any three point shots, then that's going to open up something else. What is it going to be? Maybe a drive to the basket for a layup, maybe a drive to the basket for an easy dump off you know, for a big guy layup, maybe a drive to the basket and the defense sucks in and then they stop and kick it out to a guy who is open for a three-point shot. So I think that what we really work on is with with the players who we have on a given year um, to figure out how they, they're going to practice and find a synergy and timing and spacing um, to, you know, use the talents that they have and each other's talents to get those shots. So, you know, it's not an exact science. Uh, and I think it, it really goes to the guys we have and, and also, you know, the coaches who are working with them all the time on the different scenarios of what a defense presents and, and how they're going to create those opportunities. Um, so I, we still hear, I mean, I talked to Simon about it and I've talked to other people about it, that people love the way we play. And, and Simon tells me other coaches always want to know this, this question that, he, that he's been asked, like, how does Colby do this? So clearly not everybody, not every other team plays the way we do. Um, and so that kind of brings me to the question, like, clearly somewhere along the way, your philosophy as a head coach, or maybe it even started back when you were a player, came into fruition that like, this is the, this is kind of like the right way to play, or this is the way. And I know, obviously, a lot of it, like we're saying, has to do with who your players but um, you recruit, or I'm assuming the coaches recruit so that they can fit an offense that plays in this style. Um, so just where did that philosophy start? Like, I don't know if your whole time that you've been at Colgate was we kind of played the same way that we do now. Um, or, I mean, I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about it later that I've talked to um, even Damon Sherman Newsom, who played under you earlier. Um, and he was telling me that they played a different style. So I just was wondering where that kind of your philosophy, yeah. that evolution. So it's, it's a really good question, Tuck. And I think I, I start with why I gravitated towards basketball. So I, I think that there's a lot of sports are, are incredible for so many reasons. Like, I mean, you guys watch football and I see you out playing tennis and, you know, so many other sports. The reason I think I found basketball to be the, the my favorite sport was because you you really can be an individual, right? You just need a ball and a basket some of the time to get better at the game by yourself. Like there's, you know, you can go out and train and make yourself a better player. You can be motivated to do that. Um, and when you do that, then whatever team you're going to be on, if you get better, you're going to have more opportunity and a bigger role. And But you still get to experience what it is to be a part of a team, right? To celebrate one another's success, you know, to go through the the, the valleys together. You're not isolated out there, you know, on your own as an individual. So I think that's kind of what I gravitate towards when I think of basketball is, you know, individual, but also um, uh, team. And so from there, I found the most fun way to play the game, the most enjoyable way to play is 
you know, not to, when the team gets the rebound, look over at the coach and the coach to say, Hey, run, run, play five option two side. Like that's not fun. Like players want to play. You want to get up and down the court and run and um, be aggressive. I, I also found the basketball to have energy, right? Like it sounds kind of corny, but like, you know, and there's a lot of ways to be successful. I mean, when I was an assistant coach and we went from Penn to Temple, Coach Dumphy was replacing Coach Cheney. Um, and Coach Cheney is a Hall of Fame coach and, you know, one of the great NCAA coaches of all time. He played almost all zone defense um, and very slow and deliberate uh, basketball, very heavy pick and roll with one guy that he trusted the most, making the most decisions, attempting the most shots. And so some guys would go possessions without even touching the basketball. So you clearly can be successful in a lot of ways. But for me, I found that like, I, I believe in life, people do the best, like perform their best at whatever they're doing when they're enjoying the work. Like if the work sucks, then they're not going to typically do their best over a long period of time. So when you're doing something you like, which in my mind is like, being a part of the game, like passing and moving. And even if you don't score the basket, maybe set a screen or made a cut or, you know, executed something that helped the team get a great shot. And so there's, there's energy in that and touching the ball and being a part of it. Um, you know, I think creates a synergy that makes the team better sometimes than, than the sum of its parts. And so, you know, big picture philosophically, I think that's where it comes from as far as, you know, how do we integrate all the pieces to together to, you know, maximize what the team can be on the offensive side of the ball. So like I sort of foreshadowed, like I was talking to um, Dame about it the other day and it was fascinating. I've talked to him a lot actually in the last couple of weeks, just about the differences between our teams and um, his experience playing at Colgate and stuff. And he mentioned to me that they, they scored in the sixties and they were one of the slower teams. And, um, obviously two years ago, we were scoring in the nineties all the time. And last year, not as much, but still, um, up there in terms of possessions and points per game. And so I was just wondering, so is that personnel driven or was it actually something changed or clicked in the last couple of years, um, where, where you, actively wanted to play a different style or was that just kind of a natural progression? Um, yeah, I don't have an answer to that. So one, I think it is personnel driven. Like Damon had on his team um, an extremely good three-point shooting center. Um, Ethan Jacobs was a transfer from Ohio and, you know, he was one of our best shooters, you know, in practice every day when we would do all the drills that we do, all the shooting drills, his numbers were off the charts. And so what a weapon to have. Can you, I mean, if you were to think about it, like I know our two guys are working on it right now, but they're not prolific three-point shooters yet. Um, but like, so it was a lot of single side ball screens with he was picking and popping. And so, you know, the, the, the personnel, I think, plays a huge part of what we do. Like we believe that coaches um, – it's a player's game and the coach's job is not to fit guys into their system, but to kind of create the best system for the guys that we have. So that team that Damon, like I've always wanted to play fast, but you know, that team maybe didn't have, you know, your last couple of years, you played with Burns and Cummings and you handle the ball really, you're, you know, you assist at a really high rate. So that's, you know, three guys at times that could all handle the ball and we could get out and play a little bit faster. And, um, you know, you played with Ivanowskis who ran the floor really well for a big guy, as does Keegan. So, 
you know, I think certainly putting pressure on the defense is, you know, a defense that's backing up is always going to be less efficient than a defense that's set. Um, so we, we've always wanted to play fast, but sometimes the teams just weren't able. At the end of the day, everybody wants to win. Like style of play is something, but you got to figure out um, how to win the game that you're in. Uh, I think we talk about that all the time. And so some of that is who do you have? And then some of that is your opposition. Like, you know, you guys are running numbers from two years ago. Well, like we had a shortened schedule um, against only a handful of teams, right? And so, you know, what was our best chance to beat those teams? We played 10 guys too. And so we were playing on back-to-back nights also. And so playing fast against those teams, they kind of couldn't keep up with us. So it was you know, strategically, and you guys were up for it and, you know, well-conditioned. And so, like, that team played at a high tempo. We also didn't play, you know, a lot of some of the non-league games that that we play on a year where that style, you know, in a given game might not be the best best recipe for, for trying to win that game. Talk, I think that was such a great point about, like, the personnel base of the pace um, and going off that. Because, like, I, I was just going through, like, the past – uh, like 10 years on Kempom and like what's changed in the system basically since you came compared to when the last coach left. And like the thing that really seemed consistent is the fact that like we always in the top, like 50 and three pointers attempted or in terms of point distribution, like always like the amount of three point shots, but the pace has really changed. And that's probably more of like a player level statistic in terms of game to game, how often, because this is actually like a strategy like I've talked to a couple coaches about with shot quality. I don't know if any of them have actually employed it, but um, <laughs> basically game to game saying like playing at a quicker pace uh, based off this team versus playing at a slower pace. The strategy that I usually talk about is based off like variance. So like if you're much more, if you're much likely to win by a significant amount, then it makes sense to probably play at a slower pace just because um, no, sorry, play at a quicker pace because there'll be more possessions right, and you're more likely to obviously right. win. But if you, if you want to, if you're less likely to win, just play at a slower pace, um, and like decrease the variance. Um, so game to game, like how often would you say like it's adjusted? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we go in with a game plan of how it's, we're best suited to win that game. Like I'll, I think back to that Arkansas game coming off the year that we were just talking about where we were scoring, they were scoring a ton of points and we scored a ton of points, but we played, I don't know, Boston 11 times and army six. No, I'm joking, but you know, we played army, Boston, Holy cross. I, Tuck, who else did we play? I don't, I don't know. That, that was it in the regular season. And then we played until the, yeah, until the conference tournament. And I think like, you know, somebody who was just looking at our stat sheets or the numbers would say, Oh, these are two of the fastest paced teams in the country. This is going to be a shootout. Take the over. Like there's going to be, you know, however many, you know, this good first game, first team, the 90 might win. And we're looking at Arkansas and saying, I don't know if, if we just want to like, play the fastest possible game against them like if they get after us and pressure us might we have to make some threes in transition to make them pay yeah for sure but we need to we need to manage this game um and take advantage of mistakes that they made and like read the defense and like if they're gonna play a big lineup against us you know we need to are they gonna switch ball screens or they how are they gonna play and you know ultimately that's how we got the big lead was not by playing super fast but managing the game and taking advantage of 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 reading the defense and then they had to they countered with playing a really small lineup that did kind of speed us up 
to what you're you're talking about and force us into you know play a a, a different different style that you know didn't didn't go the way we would have liked um but i do think that you have to kind of evaluate you know again unless you always have the most talent on the court to what you were talking about unless you have you know the deepest best roster of anybody that you're going to play and i think that's why you know if you go back to um you know teams that are built like you know jerry tarkanian's teams in the 90s where they were going to play full court defense or um you know the arkansas teams that you know pressed for 40 minutes that was that was a conscious effort about we're going to get the a lot of really high level athletes to try and win that type of game but for us I think we take a, a really strong look at what are going to be our advantages in the game that we're in, um, not necessarily every single game all year. So basically it's like game to game, year by year, making changes based on personnel, based on who you're playing, all these things. So that's why I find it so interesting that I just, it kind of like is mind boggling to me sometimes that there are still schools that try and fit into like a mold or a framework and, and are less less likely to um, to have that freedom that we play with, which is, I mean, like I've talked to a lot of guys when I'm back home normally who are like, who have watched our games and said, I wish that we played, like wish we had that freedom and had that. And I'm just like, and I'm thinking, well, maybe that's their personnel, but a lot of times it's just like year after year, a program, I don't want to like call it a coach or anything, but like a program will just try and stay with the same system instead of kind of, changing and so I'm wondering as a as a head coach why are some why is it harder for some programs to to be able to change and be able to enact a little bit more freedom in their players yeah I, I don't have an answer I think there's a lot of ways to be successful you know I just I, I I try and study a lot of coaches and you know like I don't know we talk about playing off two feet or or I was talking to Oliver the other day about you know playing off you know both pivot feet um, you know, and I, I distinctly think of a couple of very, very successful coaches who, you know, went from high school coaches to low division one coaches or to non-division one coaches to division one to, you know, mid-major to high major. And now their guys only ever played off one pivot foot. So I think there's a lot of ways to be successful, kind of what makes our game interesting and intriguing. Um, but for me, this is a player's game. And so like the players earn the trust of the coaches and the trust of their teammates. And like, you know, we, we've got some clips of you in the Wisconsin game shooting from like, you know, darn near half court on someone you were in that on fire stretch. And, you know, we use those to show recruits of just what you're saying that we play with a confidence and a freedom but like that's earned. It's not like you just walk into the gym from day one and started started doing that. And so like there's a lot that has gone into you choosing to shoot that shot at that moment on that stage. And you earn that like that's what that's part of, I think, what makes great players great is that they've earned that opportunity. And so like who am I as a coach to say, no, you're not capable of that or that's not right for us at that time. I, I just believe because of, of, you know, my thoughts about the, it being a player's game that those guys who have earned that, you know, should certainly have the freedom to do that. They shouldn't be limited by a system or by, you know, a coach's ego or, or something of, of that nature. So I'm curious Simon's response to that because it's almost, 
not goes against analytics, but it's almost like it's almost like putting enough trust in a player so that they will take the right shots. So it's not it's I don't know. I, I don't want to speak for you, but it's not saying that a player can take any shot if they have if you have trust in them. It's just saying that you trust them to take the right shot. And like I, it's always been your philosophy is like when someone takes a shot, it's the team shot. It's not your shot. Um, right. to find that to be interesting. Not that it's against analytics, but it's kind of Simon. Um, well, if you're putting them in the game and you trust them to make the right plays, like, like I don't think it goes against analytics at all because I think they're, they're in the game for a reason, probably to take the right shot. I guess the scenario going off that would be if you had like a stubborn, uncoachable player, uh, awesome glue guy, like great defender, um, but like just took absolutely terrible shots, like essentially like Draymond Green, if, if you didn't know his role almost. Uh, how would you strategize like a technique to like adjust his shots? Because you can't take him out because he impacts winning like significantly, but in terms of like how he hurts the team offensively, um, I'd imagine like, I, I don't know if that would Yeah. It's like a, um, it's like a, a, a chicken and a egg type question right there, or, or you know, which came first um, because like those players don't really exist. Those guys who, are glue guys who do all the right things, who also take horrible shots and far too many of them, right? Like they don't, it's not one in the same, but I do think of like Draymond Green, for example. I mean, we were watching film of him in the office the other day with our new assistant coaches um, because he, he's such a unique player and he impacts the game and impacts winning most importantly at such a, such a high level. Um, And, you know, like, but if you said, oh, would he fit in your system where I, you know, I talked about us having four guys who shoot, you know, great three point shooting percentage, you would say no. But I would we would love to have him. And <laughs> and, and some of that is you know, like, you know, like if you study Ryan Moffat as a player like Ryan early in his career, I mean, you could go back and look at the you probably have access to Coach Klatsky's Dropbox and the practice stats, Simon. <laughs> But if you go back and look at his practice stats from from his freshman year and even part of his, his sophomore year, he he wasn't shooting great. And we had to kind of work with him and encourage him to do what you said, like, keep your man. If you're open, shoot like I know the numbers aren't supporting that, but you're going to make enough of them to keep the defense honest. And you do so many other things that are helping the team win that don't um, handcuff the team by not shooting those shots. So I think my solution or my methodology to work with that player, that that hypothetical player that you're talking about is just to talk about all the ways that you can affect winning in this game. And, and Tuck, hopefully, you know, you've heard this message for, for, for all of our team without, you know, the statistics of points and, um, you know, like the, the regular box score doesn't always shine a spotlight on all the things that maybe only the people in our locker room ever know about that really helped us win that game. And I think it's part of what has helped our team be really good is the team very much values all of those other things like, you know, assists attempted and, um, you know, extra creating extra possessions, whether it's off of a deflection or a back tap that you didn't, you know, actually get the offensive rebound or, you know, all those things that go into, you know, help defense or helping the helper on the defensive end, all those things that affect the winning. So I would, that guy was shooting too many shots. I, we would just talk to him about 
you know, the value as a screener and a defender and all those things and say like, you don't, you don't have to score. Um, and then in fact, like sometimes shooting bad shots or if somebody on your team could have got a better shot, like players all know that turnovers are the opposite of, of winning plays. And so, you know, if you think of like a, a, a bad shot or one that everybody isn't happy about you shooting as almost like a turnover, like then, then it's a different, different mindset and a different mentality. I think this idea of overanalyzing statistics is really interesting and something me and Simon talk about a lot. I can remember there are two points in my career that I kind of, rem- I remember myself doing this. I remember we talked about this a little bit, coach, but the beginning of my sophomore year when I was like, I remember looking at Kempom and I was one of the top like five in the country in true shooting percentage. Um, and I remember thinking like in games a little bit, it kind of affected what shots I was taking. It was almost like, I want to be careful because I want to keep like these percentages up and because I'm shooting whatever percent from three. And if I take this shot and I miss it, am I going to, and then the other one was just at the beginning of last year when I considered my shooting slump um, and couldn't make a shot. It was kind of the opposite. Um, and I was kind of telling myself the same thing. Like I'm which shots am I going to take? I need to take the right shots so I can get back out of the slump or whatever it was. So I think those are like the two points in my career where kind of overanalyzing statistics did affect me. Not that it changed the way I played, but it was something I definitely was in the back of my mind. Um, I was wondering, do you ever find yourself kind of overthinking or wanting to overcoach your players based on, like analytics or statistics on what's considered a good shot or how you want them to play? Or is that something that doesn't even really cross your mind? I I try and never go there because again, it goes back to my belief that this is a player's game. And so, you know, anybody who's played even like noon hoops or pickup, like you kind of know the emotion of the game and that are, are in the emotions that are involved in the game and the human element to the game. Like Simon, even I'll use you as an example. Like, you know, if you're in a shooting slump, like you start to feel bad, like that's real emotion, right? Like thoughts are going through your head and you're, you're not, you're not feeling good. And if you're playing in a game, you feel like, Oh, am I letting my team down or should I, you know, so all of those things creep in there. So like, the analytics are what the analytics are, but there's like, if you're in a slump and you all of a sudden, you know, somebody gets a steal and you get a breakaway layup, like that helps you feel good. Or, you know, you, you get a drive and somebody fouls you and the ball happens to go in the basket. And now you've got a chance for a three point play. Like that automatically helps you feel better. And I know that the numbers would say like all these things average out over the course of time. But on that given shot, on that given moment, for those seconds, minutes, game, week, or whatever, those those human elements or emotions are different than, um, you know, the vacuum that you are talking about, where where we kind of evaluate a, a lot of a lot of these these statistics. So, you know, I don't try. I try and remember all the time that you know this there is a human element and a dynamic of relationships that are going into all of these equations as well. So, you know, we try and, 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 and get our guys to value the best shots and that becomes part of who they are. Uh, and after that, we kind of try and not overdose on it. Yeah. I know Klatsky always talks about this too, about like, like, even if we have like the best numbers, like not putting it even into the, 
information that we give to the players, but just like almost like the like just turning it into like words, like instead of saying like you this guy's gonna drive left 68% of the time and is 18% more efficient driving left, it's just like don't force him left, like or yeah, force him right. Um sure. because the players aren't robots. And I think the example with talk like I've kind of always been, even though I'm looking at data sheets all day, I've kind of always been on the side of like confidence and like that, like actually having like a major impact on the game of basketball and like the shots that are going to go in and aren't going to go in. And obviously the computer generating the shots doesn't incorporate if a player has confidence in uh, like if he's in a shooting slump and something like that, it's something I've always wanted to get to, but kind of impossible. Um and like hearing like firsthand from talk, like when he was going through his slump last season, like the thing that like everyone was telling me was just like, keep shooting, keep shooting. And like the stuff, like getting to the free throw line or the example of getting open layups, like that was the stuff that was going to break him out. And like, if he stopped shooting and kept looking at his numbers, like he wouldn't. So yeah, I mean, that's where I'm definitely, I lead more towards the, the lesser analytic side and like thinking that like everything's going to be random there. I mean, the confidence thing is is so key. We talked. We, Nelly was one of the last people we had on the podcast, and his kind of mindset on confidence is so important. But um, I think the thing that coaches talked about a lot about on this podcast is like having confidence in your players, and that instills confidence um, into us as players. I want to talk. I want to ask one question about this upcoming season. A little bit. It's not really about the season, but a little bit about the team. Um, so we've added three new guys this year. And just from the small sample size that I've had playing with them, there are more of guys that like to shoot mid-range, uh, more than we've had in the past, I would say. And we've lost a couple guys who are more inclined to take threes. And so I was just wondering, again, like I'm sure I already know what your answer is going to be, but how do you feel about that change um, coming into the season? And I don't even know if it will be a change. Maybe it will be kind of the same as it has been my last couple of years, but just kind of your thinking on um, that dynamic. Well, I'm going to, I threw one back at Simon already. So I'm going to throw it back on you as a, as a guy who's been around for a handful of years. And I, I think has a good pulse on this program and this team and, and, you know, what makes, what's made us successful and what's going to give us a chance to be successful again. I'm curious to your perspective first. Well, I think the interesting thing about this is is there's this notion i guess that that the mid-range is automatically a bad shot or it's gone from the game and i i mean i've talked about this a million times it's not gone from the game and there are still people who are very efficient at it so i just think that the the easiest answer is if that's a shot that's efficient or if that's a shot that um that the player feels confident in taking and feels like they can take and make then it's it's a good shot for the team um i just think it's an interesting change because i mean i guess two years ago we keep bringing up that year but um it really felt like there weren't many of those shots being taken at all um and i just i it just seems like that might be a little bit different this year so i just thought i mean again it's it's all about it's all about what's the best shot for the team so if, and those guys all seem to be really good at taking mid-ranges so i guess that the point is like if those are the best shots for the team then they should be taking them yeah and i think my answer I, I agree with you on most parts. My answer is it, it's going to depend. I think it's like an unknown of how, how it'll work out. Um, I think the most important thing for me, and we're still very early in the season, we're recording this on what middle of September. 
Um, and we haven't had a lot of five on five, even in practice. And we certainly haven't had a lot of time where, you know, the guys who all played together in the past a lot are playing together. Um, so it's, it's very early in, in that process. I think the most important for our coaches is that, you know, the, the, all of the returning players and those three new guys that we've added they're they're I like the talent of the group. Right. So like that goes back to like not getting players to necessarily fit into a system, but get some really good players um, who can do a lot of different things. And how do we blend them together with the players who are coming back to make this the very best team that it can be. Um, that being said, like, I don't care what team you look at, like you can go back, you know, my, my arch rival, we were Ivy league champions two years. The other two years was Princeton. And, you know, part of why Princeton was so good was they, they were shooting high percentage shots around the basket and three point shots. And so like the, 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 if you look, study the game, there's not a lot of teams who are, you know, shooting 80% of their shots as pull up, you know, two point shots, off the dribble, no matter how good their players are at shooting them, who are having high levels of success as a team. So I don't think that we'll all of a sudden become a 15 foot two point jump shooting team off the dribble. Um, but I think there are certain times and certain matchups and against certain defenses where um, a two point shot might be the best shot for your team, like you just said. And so, you know, if indeed that plays out for us, then um, you know, that'll need to be the shot that we shoot. And if you have some guys, like if, mo if defenses are all building to in a close game, in a closely contested game to get somebody to shoot a, a lower percentage two point jump shot off the dribble. And now instead of just one guy, you have to shoot that shot, you have two or three or four guys who can get and make that shot. Like maybe you're better off as a team because you have guys and is it worth it? in those moments to maybe shoot a couple more of them over the course of a game or a season. Yeah, probably if in that instance, you don't have to have just one guy who's going to be able to get that shot. You know, you haven't shot a lot of them. It's part of why I'm harping on you to, to like add that to your game. Not that you're going to start shooting five or six or seven of them, but at the end of a clock or at the end of a half or at the end of a game, might that be the best shot that we get? Yeah. So, you know, if you can, if you can shoot it too, then let's do it. It's really fascinating. Like the difference between the first 35 minutes of a game to like the last five minutes of a close game. Like that's where like having more of those people to be able to take like the efficient mid range shots is like the difference. And I feel like so many different, like close games in college basketball. Do you think that's, not, do you think that's over undervalued from the analytical perspective? Simon, like, what's your view on that as, you know, as, as somebody who's in the business of, of analytics and, and shot quality, like, and you talk to a lot of people who I'm, I'm guessing are saying like that shot is, is terrible. We never practice it. You know, we don't want to shoot that at all. Like what's your, your view on that? So one of the coaches um, who I've talked to a lot about this is from Creighton and they play it like similar to Colgate, like the most like efficient free flowing offense, like tons of open threes, tons of transition, ton of tons of cuts. This most recent season didn't play that way because different personnel, but like that's where they'll always be playing. And they, one of the the main associate head coach there, uh, like read this in a book. I'm blanking on the name of the book right now, and like argued with Coach Mack, the head coach, about it. 
because he doesn't believe that it's there and the, the assistant does believe it's there. And I, it's like, it's one of those things that I don't think is like a simple yes or no answer, but I do believe that like, it's something that's probably a little bit undervalued. I mean, like I'm, I've said this <laughs> countless podcasts, like if you're really good at mid range, you should consistently take them. And I think even if you're decently good at mid range, you should probably take them in the last five minutes. So yeah, it is probably something that might be a little bit under talked about. Yeah, it, it's something that I don't under like when I hear coaches say, no, we never even practice it because we don't want our guys shooting it. I, I kind of think to myself, like, you know, Tuck, you, we practice a lot of stuff that you don't use all the time, but it's made you a better player um, in the long haul to be able to use it if you have to. So that's just my where I disagree with those who say, no, we don't we don't want our guys doing it. So we don't even practice. It. So oh. I'm going to. Ooh, sorry, Doc. Go ahead, Tommy. Um, so the last one of the last questions I asked this to Nelly, and you might have heard it on the other podcast. Um, uh, from a quality of shot perspective, I, I have to end on one nerdy and another SQ plug. Uh, if I didn't have enough already, um, uh, ranking the quality of shots on just like average player taking them uh, in college basketball the last like five seasons. So. Average drive to the basket, average post up, average catch and shoot three, average mid range, and average off the dribble three. Yeah, it's a hard question for me because, and and this is just why I I don't I don't watch a game or I don't watch the game or our team or the teams that we're preparing for, and basically that's all all that I watch. Like if I'm studying an offense, I'm not really watching any of the players. So for the average, like that's, that's hard for me to say what the average is, right? Like what, what I would say is the best for you is going to be different from Tucker compared to, you know, the point guard on the, the team that we're going to play next week compared to the shooting guard. Right. So I'm always thinking of it in that space, but um, to answer your question. So I'm on the hot seat here. This, I'm you're, being quizzed. You're being quizzed. <laughs> best, best to worst. Is that what it is? Like, yeah. So, I mean, open, uh, I, I would say average catch and shoot three is most valuable. Average drive to the basket. I don't know. I'm, I'm torn between that and average off the dribble three would be second and third with the average post up fourth and <laughs> mid-range uh, last. Yeah, so that was spot on. Um, the which is the which basket. is the second one? Is it average drive, drive to the, the basket? basket? Drive to the basket yeah. because of the offensive rebound chance. So that's yeah. like the best yeah. thing is like yeah. just offensive rebound probability on a drive. Absolutely, triple three is obviously way higher. Yeah. And that's yeah. for that's for NCAA average yeah. NCAA. Yeah. yeah, you passed. Tuck the- was surprised. I saw him laughing. Yeah, you, pa- you passed. You passed. Get it right. <laughs> that was impressive. Um. Coach, to wrap up, I want to talk, I want to ask you one thing outside of basketball. And um, something that I really admire about you is your ability to talk about life and talk about um, things outside of basketball. So um, I think one one thing that I've noticed over my now five years at Colgate is that you're really good at being able to put things in perspective and, and wanting us to put things in perspective. Um, and so I was just wondering where that ability to talk about what's really important in your players' lives and in your life Um and, and being able to bring those conversations up to your players, where did that come from? Was that something you learned from another coach or something that you've always kind of had in your personality? No, I, I think, 
probably very similar to you. I was really lucky to grow up in a household that had conversations like that about, you know, what was going on in the, the world period. Like, and then that's, you know, like in our country and other countries and countries that you don't hear about in the news and the media, um, but also what was going on in my world, like at my school or my grade or our neighborhood. Um, and sometimes they were, they were fun conversations and sometimes they were challenging conversations that, that force you to think and, um, about, you know, your belief system compared to, you know, somebody else on your blocks belief system. And, uh, and then similarly in college, um, I, I played for a coach and, and coaches who impacted my life and not just in college, but, you know, through basketball in the summer and really through sports. I mean, I remember a baseball coach that I had at, you know, I don't know, 13 or 14 or 15 years old. He, he passed away far too early from cancer, but he just, you know, really taught, taught uh, that group, that age group, the value of team and, and what it's like to, you know, take batting practice in the rain and, and field ground, like everything that goes into to being a team. And so it's all of the combination of those people who brought that to my attention with the idea of like this, this season or this game or this life, it's not really about you. It's not about as an individual, it's about so many other people and so many other things. And so to me, that's what perspective is, is like when you're in a situation and you're, you're in your life or your circumstances are, are having you focused on one thing, like, can you take a step back and pay attention to what other people are going through, what they're accomplishing, what they're, they're faced with um, and how it's different from, from, from what you are, because that's to me, what, what makes us as, as a human race, you know, pretty unique when it comes to, to life is to be able to do that and, and be better for it. Uh, we appreciate having you on the pod today, coach. I think that's a great way to end off. Um, and we're glad we got this done. I think that was an awesome conversation. So, uh, thank you so much. All right. Thanks guys. It was a blast. Good luck, Simon. Stay in touch. <laughs> yes. Gonna need you. Coach Clatsy's gone now. I'm going to need you. I'm going to need you on my, on my earpiece a little bit more frequently this year than, uh, I'm trying to get him I'm trying to get him to come to a game so he can sit behind the bench and be back in the manager role. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we might need him to hire a couple more people at shot quality so we can have him uh, help us out a little bit more strategically <laughs> this year. I could come back with my clipboard like I did uh, sophomore season. <laughs> hey, look, there's a lot of stories to be told, a lot of good stuff. Your rebounding studies, a lot of stuff that uh, hopefully helped you in this successful journey that you're on get the, get started. <laughs> thank you coach appreciate it all right see all you right. guys thanks appreciate thanks. it that's it